happening a good tuesday to all of you thanks for joining me as always it is very much appreciated we're on apple podcasts we're on spotify we're on youtube let's start off today talking about these patriots weapons quote-unquote weapons because i have lots of questions i'm sure you have lots of questions last week i wondered out loud whether or not it was too early to be panicked or very concerned about the patriots weapons at wide receiver or lack thereof and i'm telling you now that we've seen two weeks of football I don't feel any better about these weapons than I did after week one. And that's even more concerning because Devontae Parker was out there. And I know he wasn't totally healthy, but that's an issue all within itself. So let's look at these weapons. And I want to put some context behind this. So pro football focus, I know not a lot of people uh, love every statistic that they have. I don't love every stat that they have. But I did find this stat from week one very telling. Kendrick Bourne. So what Pro Football Focus did was they looked at all the top receivers in the league for each team. So they they graded out. They graded out every receiver for every team, and then they ranked the best receivers from each team, if that makes sense, right? So you take the Patriots. You take a look at the grade for Juju Smith-Schuster and the grade for DeMario Douglas and Booty and Kendrick Bourne. And then you take the best grade from those guys, and that is the representative for the Patriots that week. Okay, So they did that for all 32 teams. Do you know where the Patriots' number one receiver from week one ended up when compared to the rest of the league? It wasn't good. So Kendrick Bourne, week one, was the highest-graded receiver for the Patriots. His grade was under a 66. It was a 65.9. Kendrick Bourne, out of the number one receivers in the league, there's 32 of them from week one, Bourne finished 29th in the league. 29th out of 32. There were only three players with lower grades at wide receiver in week one than Kendrick Bourne. Those three players. Cortland Sutton from Denver, 64.5. Mac Hollins from Atlanta, 62.9. And Darius Slayton from the Giants at 54.7. Mac Jones's best receiver from week one, according to Pro Football Focus grades, was the 29th best option in the league when you look at the number one options out of 32 teams. No bueno. Juju Smith-Schuster has no explosion. He don't look right. He don't look healthy. When they signed Juju in the offseason, I said, hey, slight upgrade over Jacoby Myers. I was completely unaware that Juju's knee was this bad. I knew that he had some knee questions and some health questions in the past, but I didn't know it was going to look like this. This guy is adjusting at his knee after every catch, after every play, which tells me he's very uncomfortable with what's going on. Mike Reese said this on Sunday that, you know, when you look back at the fourth and three play week one, we all wondered why Juju did not run a great route. He just didn't go against the leverage correctly. Reese actually said that it could be because Juju doesn't quite have confidence in his knee. So he did not want to make the cut that was necessary to have the best route on that play. Mike Reese, as we know, He doesn't just throw stuff up against the wall. Mike Reese's game is not reckless speculation. So Juju can't even trust his knee to to make certain cuts on the field. And that's the guy you paid the most money for in the offseason. Not good. 
Devontae Parker, limited. The best ability he brings to the field is the 50-50 balls, and he did not do a good job on that Mac pick. Again, Mac has enough of the blame on that interception. We talked about it yesterday. But Parker, Mac is hoping that his receiver fights for that football. Not only that, before you get to the actual spot of the pick, Mac is trusting that his receiver is going to fight through the route, which Parker did not do. Parker was bodied by Howard on that play. Inexcusable from your perceived number one receiver. Kendrick Bourne is good. He's not great. He's very inconsistent when running routes. And there are a number of plays that you watch where Kendrick was supposed to do this, but Kendrick did that. If you want to get more specific, check out the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with yours truly. Greg dives into two or three plays during the recap of week two on the pod that we recorded earlier today. So you can check out the specifics. But the thing with Bourne is there's a difference between good and very good or elite. And I highlight one play. I don't know how many people watched Monday Night Football last night, but there was a play down the sideline. Derek Carter, Chris Olave. Chris Olave from Ohio State, first-round pick a couple years ago. Legitimate number one guy. Legitimate top-tier talent at wide receiver. And Carr throws it down the sidelines. It's a bucket throw. It's not a, a great throw by Carr. It's a good throw. But Olave makes a spectacular catch. That's top-tier talent. You compare that play. Down the same sideline, same situation, same kind of feel, right, for this play. Mac Jones throws a perfect, and I mean perfect, bucket throw to Bourne against the Dolphins. And what happens? Bourne drops the football. And I know people say, Nick, but the defensive back is holding Bourne's wrist. He's pulling at his arm. Bourne needs to fight through that. That's what receivers do. They fight through that contact. That kind of contact happens almost every time on those deep balls down the field. The only time that doesn't happen is if you've got a Tyreek Hill who beats his guy by two or three steps and he's just wide open. When you throw those bucket throws downfield, you are depending on your receiver to fight through the route, fight at the point of the catch, and help you out a little bit. And that's the difference between Kendrick Bourne, okay, good receiver, and Chris Alave, top-tier talent. Pop Douglas, he's shown potential, but he played only 33 snaps in week one. And then, of course, we went through what happened uh, on Sunday against the Dolphins to Pop. I thought it was a silly benching by Bill Belichick. I did not think that was an undisciplined play by Pop. I did not think that was a careless play by Pop. That was a good play by Bradley Chubb hustling and, and coming from behind and punching the ball out. And by the way, if you want your receiver to not fumble the football, maybe play him a little bit more in the preseason. Just saying. So you bench him. Pop Douglas is the only guy that has explosivity within this offense. Ramondre Stevenson will show you stretches of that. He'll have some plays where you go, oh, that was explosive. But the most consistent guy with explosion and wiggle, and as they say, quick twitch when they uh, look at these players and scout them, Pop's the only guy that has that in this offense, and you benched him. You played him six snaps on Sunday. Think he could have made a little bit of a difference? Lack of explosion, if you doubt me, and I don't think any of you do watching this team. Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald does great work. He posted earlier this week, the Patriots offense had two 
two explosive plays. You had a 12-yard run from Ramondre Stevenson, and you had an 18-yard scramble, that great scramble by Mac Jones. So your two explosive plays on Sunday night against Miami, a team that just gives all sorts of explosive plays on film when you watch them, two explosive plays against the Dolphins, a Stevenson run and a Mac Jones scramble. If that doesn't speak volumes, I don't know what does. Kayshawn Booty, healthy scratch with Parker back. And, of course, Booty couldn't keep his feet in bounds in week one. And you're not going to be able to play all six receivers for this team. That's not happening. And finally, you know, you're lacking the explosion. You're lacking the playmaking at wide receiver. Tight ends are okay. I have no issue with the tight ends. But the run game has been just non-existent the first couple of weeks of the season. Evan Lazar wrote about this at Patriots.com. Here's what he wrote, an excerpt. In the first two weeks, the Patriots have the worst run-blocking grade in pro football focuses system. The worst blocking grade. Dead last. Their blocking grade is a 39.1. And uh, that's out of 100, folks. The Patriots' offensive line run blocking grade is 39 out of 100. I know we all went to school. Last time I checked, getting a 39 ain't great. It's not good. Lazar continues, Patriots 27th in rushing average by running backs. They're averaging three yards a carry. Just not good enough. And they're 23rd in expected points added per rush attempt. The weapons. The weapons ain't good. All right, don't forget, rate, review, like, and subscribe to the show if you enjoy what you're listening to, if you enjoy what you're watching. We're on Apple Pods. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. And I can't stress this enough. Give us, giving us that like on YouTube is just gigantic. The more likes we get, YouTube actually will disperse our video out more. That's how this works. It's crazy, but that's how it works. It's an algorithm, yada, yada. If you subscribe, even better. So help us out. Rate, review, like, and subscribe. Uh, review the pod as well at Apple Pods. Five-star reviews, we'll take them all. Uh, One-star reviews, not really fans of those. All right, let's jump to uh, Mac Jones. And I, I want to talk about Mac Jones's expectations. Now, I will tell you, later in the week, most likely tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to take a look at one of these Mac Jones myths that have circulated throughout the New England ether over the last year plus. And I'm going to smash that myth. That'll be probably on tomorrow's podcast. But I, I wanted to talk about the expectations around Mac Jones because I think that's a big issue. I was listening to my buddy Scott Zolak, my man Zoe on Zolak and Bertrand earlier today, and I actually typed out this quote because it, it meant a lot hearing it from Zoe, who, as we all know, happened to play the quarterback position in the league. Quote, Max played pretty damn well through two games. For all the worries going into this year, you people can relax a little bit because I think he's playing well. That's Scott Zolak on Mac Jones earlier today on 98.5, and I couldn't agree more with Zoe. And I've said this. I've given you guys examples. I'm not necessarily a Mac Jones stan. Again, I think he's his ceiling is like somewhere around 12-ish if you want to rank quarterbacks in the league. I don't think he's, you know – the guy that's going to just carry a team and be incredible. 
But I think through the first two weeks, he has played well enough for your football team to win. And it's come down to other things, offensive line, lack of weapons and separation and explosion on offense, lack of a run game. That's what it's come down to. My, my grades for Mac through the first two weeks, I had him a B minus against Philly in week one. And I actually had him with a higher grade this week. I had him at a B. I thought he played better against the Dolphins than he played against the Eagles. I thought he had several big-time throws in the game against the Dolphins on Sunday night. So I agree with Zoe on that. I think Mac Jones has played good enough. Is he great? No. Is he elite? Of course not. But let's talk about expectations for a few minutes here because there is some disingenuous moving of the goalposts when people talk about Mac. If you say that Mac isn't the reason why this team has lost as much as it's lost the last two years, then all of a sudden that means you're saying he's great. And that is absurd. If I sit here and I defend Mac Jones's play, all I'm doing is telling you that Mac Jones played better than what some, if not most people think. I'm not telling you he's great. I'm not telling you he's a top five quarterback. I'm not telling you he's trying to carry this football team. All I'm telling you is the quarterback is playing well enough in putting his team into a position to win games. So stop moving the goalposts. Don't all of a sudden turn me into, as I just mentioned, a, a Mac Jones stand. It's not happening. It's not the point. He's played well enough to win. That's the point. Here's the thing I don't get about the Mac Jones conversation. Mac Jones, every single play, every single play for Mac Jones is looked at with a microscope. Every single one, every single mistake he makes is blown up out of proportion. And we expect Mac Jones to be flawless, but for some reason, we don't expect anybody else on this football team to be flawless. How is that fair? We look at the Mac Jones interception, and there's no doubt the Mac Jones interception was not a good throw. It wasn't a good play. It wasn't a good route. It was terrible timing. There's no doubt about that. But why do we blow up that interception and not every other mistake that was made by this football team on Sunday night? The offensive line breakdowns, the fumble by Pop Douglas. We, we don't break down all these things. We don't break down a defense that wasn't good in the first half and was part of the reason why you were down 17-3 to three at halftime. So we don't blame anybody else but Mac Jones. We, we, we put the blame pie, and if we try to blame people, Mac seemingly gets most of the blame when we have conversations over the last year plus about this team and why they're losing. Doesn't make enough plays, all those kinds of things. And I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to put so much hyper-focus on Mac Jones in every single snap of the football that he takes and every single solitary throw that he makes. It is not fair to put so much emphasis on the one or two big mistakes he might make in a game while other people are making bigger mistakes and more consistent mistakes. How about the head coach in his fourth down decision-making the last two weeks? How about that? How about the defensive approach on Sunday night? Mac's not the only one that makes mistakes. And as a matter of fact, I would argue that Mac has made fewer mistakes than many others on this football team through the first two weeks of this season. 
if you're not good enough, if a team is not good enough to withstand one interception by their quarterback, the team is not good enough. That is not on the quarterback. If you're expecting any quarterback in the league, from Mahomes to Allen to Hertz to Prescott, any quarterback in the league, if you're expecting any QB in the league to be flawless, you have unreasonable expectations. That's on you. That's not on the quarterback. And if you can't survive an interception by your quarterback, that should tell you that your team is not good enough. Because if a good team is out there, they overcome mistakes from the quarterback. They overcome the only turnover from the quarterback in the game on Sunday night. That ain't on the quarterback, folks. A few other things here. Mac Jones is not and has never been considered a guy to carry a team. And if you start with that thought process, you're starting with the wrong premise. He's not that kind of quarterback. I've never said he's that kind of quarterback. I don't know how many people even tried to say he's that kind of quarterback. Straw man's argument. Mac Jones, guess what? Breaking news. He's just like every other quarterback in football. He's going to make mistakes. I've seen Patrick Mahomes make a lot of mistakes. I've seen Josh Allen make a lot of mistakes. I've seen the top quarterbacks in football make mistakes. Again, do you have the team that can overcome those mistakes? Because quarterbacks are going to make them. Everyone breaks down every play from Mac. You know, the fact that the Patriots are down 17 to three, I tweeted this at Nick C radio. If you want to follow me, I posted that Mac Jones, his play on Sunday night kept this game competitive. And I had some pushback from people. It was the defense and it was the special teams. No, no. Now the defense in the second half was better. Special teams, obviously, schooler with the blocked field goal, tremendous play. But do we just forget? Like, if, if Mac Jones threw two interceptions in the first half and the Patriots are down 17 to three, the blame would be on the quarterback, and people would say, oh, well, your quarterback set you back 17 to three at the half. How can you come back from that? No fault of Mac Jones. This team was down 17 to three at the half against the Dolphins. No fault of Mac. Bad O-line play, Pop Douglas fumble in your defense. I, yeah, your defense. You heard that right. I am the first one to throw flowers at the feet of the defense when they play well. When they don't play so well, I'll tell you. That's how this works. Give credit when they deserve it. Criticize when they deserve it. In the first half, the defense wasn't good. They gave up 17 points. Not good. They gave up 237 total yards. Not good. Miami was three for five on third down. And one of those third downs, by the way, is when Tua went like ass over tea kettle because he turned his ankle. Miami, three for five on third down. Not good. Oh, Nick, they're playing Ben Don't Break. I get it. Get it. Tweeted that out after the first drive where the Patriots gave up all that yardage and then it resulted in a field goal. Ben Don't Break. Here's the problem with Ben Don't Break. You can't break. The defense broke. Miami was two for three in the red zone. Touchdowns. Okay. So out of their three trips to the red zone, they scored two touchdowns. Your defense, your offensive line, and the turnover on offense was the reason you were down 17-3. to Defense gave up a 75-yard touchdown drive at the end of the first half. That's not good defense. 
Tell me when I'm telling lies. Tell me. Mac is supposed to overcome everyone else's mistakes, but the team can't overcome one of his, or they're not expected to overcome one of his mistakes. He is supposed to absolve everybody on the field for everything they do that's not good. But for some reason, his not good, poof, Mac sucks. Mac stinks. <sighs> Which quarterback in this league would carry this team, by the way, given the circumstances right now? Can you name one that could carry the team? I don't think any quarterback would be playing exponentially better than Mac Jones through the first two games, given the conditions he's working with right now. Rate, review, like, and subscribe. Nick Cattle Show here on Apple Pods. Of course, we're also on Spotify and YouTube. As you're watching me right now on YouTube, give me that thumbs up and subscribe. Comment if you'd like as well. Bill O'Brien, let's talk about the offensive coordinator. A couple things from Sunday night. Surprised by the lack of no huddle uh, from the team, especially in the second half. Now, they got to it later on. But you could see, you could see that they had some rhythm in that no huddle. And then they, they didn't utilize it as much as I anticipated that they would in the second half. Now, maybe that's a play calling thing, but maybe, maybe that is actually an offensive line thing. You know, you got a lot of guys that haven't been playing. Maybe they would get gassed. You can't just run no huddle throughout the entire game. Mac was ready. He looked good in, in, in the no huddle, but you also got to take care of the big guys up front. So it, it could be part of that. I also thought there were a couple of play calls that left me scratching my head late in the second quarter, second and nine, you're moving the ball. For some reason you run Ezekiel Elliott. It was actually second and eight. You run Zeke on a second and eight. He loses a yard. Now you're looking at third and nine. Forget about it. It's over. You get a field goal. You kill the drive. Then there was the possession, first possession, third quarter, which drove me nuts. You're driving down the field. You get to the Miami 42-43 yard line. You're looking at a second and one. You don't take a shot play. You don't do anything creative. You run the ball. That run is stuffed. Now you're at third and short, third and one, and there's a toss play. Did Mac get out of the original play? I have no idea. Did he call audibles? Did you just all I know is the result, okay? So the second down and one run stuff. Third and one from the Miami 42-yard line, I think it was. No, 43-yard line. Then you lose three yards on that third down play. You had two downs to get one yard. You lose three yards. And now you're looking at fourth and four from the Miami 46. And I talked about this yesterday. Belichick decides to punt, which I disagree with. Fourth and four. On the plus 46, you're on the Miami side of the football field. You're down two touchdowns at that point. You just force Miami's offense into a three and out. That's the time when you take that momentum swing and you go for it on fourth down. Don't know why Belichick didn't do it. The inconsistency between week one and week two when we look at fourth down decisions, they don't make any sense. Doesn't make sense to me. I do think this offensive attack is a little bit too predictable right now. They were under center, not enough on Sunday night. And when they played under center, they ran the football almost exclusively. Miami knew what was coming. They knew what was coming. Again, my friend Evan Lazar, Patriots.com, wrote about Bill O'Brien's play calling. 
He writes that uh, the one criticism of O'Brien in the first two contests is that the running game might have design flaws. We talk about the offensive line not being good enough. This is also an issue. New England has ditched the fullback for the second consecutive year to be a one-back running scheme out of either standard 11 personnel or two tight ends. And, of course, two tight ends. Hmm. Mike Gesicki is not a great run blocker, folks. He's not really your prototypical, you know, 12 personnel, let's run the football down their throats kind of guy. Lazar writes, between Stevenson and Elliott, only seven of their 20 halfback runs came from under center. And, again, under center on Sunday night, they ran a lot of runs. So they're not playing under center enough either, which is a problem. Long story short, Lazar writes, the Patriots are trying to run from spread formations. There you go. Not under center enough. Using RPOs with power backs that are better suited to run from under center. Not great. Also, a lack of play action. They're just not running play action a lot. And I I thought going into this season that the Patriots would run a lot of play action. Utilize Stevenson and Elliott, run play action, attack down the seam with your tight ends. Maybe some Juju down the seam as well. Maybe some Pop Douglas down the seam out of the slot. That's what I anticipated. We have not seen much of that at all. As a matter of fact, Evan Lazar, again, he he writes that uh, Mac Jones, so far through the first two weeks of the year, has the fourth lowest play action rate. So the Patriots have called for the fourth least amount of play action in the NFL this year. Now, some of that is offensive line, but not all of it. And they've got to call. They've got to call some play action to get this offense going a little bit more. And you can question, and this is a bigger question, a bigger topic. You can question Bill Belichick and how he's built this offense because the Patriots have personnel that, you know, would tell you they should be running a lot of play action. They should be attacking down the seam. They should be under center more. That's what their running backs do best. That's what their quarterback, their Mac is really good in play action. That has that's what's been successful for you. But it's not happening right now. And again, you can blame some of that on the offensive line. You can blame some of it on the types of weapons you have. You can blame some of it, some of it on Gasicki not being able to really be a consistent blocker. So running out of 12 personnel is more difficult because of that. But it's an issue. Rate, review, like, and subscribe. Nick Cattle Show here. Uh, Of course, Apple Pod, Spotify, YouTube. Finish with this. Some snap count notes from Sunday night stood out to me. Ramondre Stevenson. The idea was that you wanted to use Stevenson less this year to save him as the season wore on because he wore down a year ago. Stevenson on Sunday night played 73% of the snaps. He played 55 snaps. If you're wondering, Zeke Elliott was out there for 30% of the snaps, and he didn't play from what I remember. He didn't play a lot in that second half. Zeke kind of went missing. So you were leaning on Ramondre. It's week two, and you are already leaning on Ramondre Stevenson, which is what you did not want to do before this season began. Concerned about that. What also doesn't make much sense to me is Ty Montgomery might be their best third down receiving back option on this roster. Stevenson obviously can do that as well. But again, you're trying to limit his snaps, or at least I thought 
they were trying to limit his snaps. Ty Montgomery played three snaps, three snaps on Sunday. Why the hell is he active? If he's playing three snaps, why is he active? Why? Case of injury? I don't know. Three snaps. I guess you could say in case of injury, if one of the two guys goes down. But is Ty the healthiest guy in the world? Huh? Third third running back on this team? Running back depth is an issue. Juju. His snaps were up in this game. A lot of that had to do with Pop Douglas getting benched. Juju played 44 snaps, 59% of the snaps in this game. Almost no impact. Bubble screens, that went nowhere, over and over and over again. Kendrick Bourne had the second fewest snaps at wide receiver in the game. So Bourne went from leading you in snaps in week one to having the second fewest at wide receiver, and who knows how much that would have changed if Pop Douglas played. I don't know. And Kendrick Bourne, we mentioned this earlier in the pod, the route running isn't great. It isn't consistent, and that's a part of the problem here. So the guy who was most likely your most talented receiver out of the veterans, he doesn't run routes consistently. <laughs> do, do you sense a trend here? Parker, we can sit there and say that Devontae Parker isn't healthy. Well, he played 100% of the snaps. The dude did not take a snap off on Sunday night. If you play 100% of the snaps, you're healthy, or at least healthy enough. And finally, Marte Mapu finished with 48% of the snaps. That went up versus week one by a decent margin. I'm sure some of that had to do with the approach that the Patriots had defensively against Miami on Sunday night. But that's one person that I'm looking at as far as snaps. He and Keon White, and Keon White's snaps slightly went up this past week as well. I want to see Mapu and Keon White, I want to see their snaps continue to increase throughout the year. All right, so there you have it. Tuesday's episode in the books. Hopefully you enjoyed this. If you did, Spotify, Apple Pods, YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, like, and subscribe. We will be back tomorrow unless there's some breaking news. We could always do a breaking news pod here. But uh, everybody enjoy your Tuesday night. We're back on Wednesday with a lot more for you.